Now, last Sunday, we talked about what the word disciple means. And if you'll remember, it's real simple. It's easy to recall. It means to be a learner. Now, watch this very, very carefully. Jesus is to be the true disciple's chief teacher. Now, we know Jesus as Savior. All of America knows. If you say to anybody on the street, who is Jesus? Oh, he's Savior. He's the Savior. He's the one who came to die on the cross. They they recognize that about Jesus. But very few would ever say to you, well, he's the teacher. Not a teacher, but the teacher. Because that's not the way we've been taught about Jesus. But Jesus is not just any teacher, he's the supreme teacher. His own disciples said to him, teacher, and they would ask him a question. Teacher, what about this? Teacher, what about that? Uh, Even his enemies would come up to him and say, rabbi, what do you say about this or that? Because Jesus was known as teacher, rabbi, teacher. Everywhere he went, he opened up the scriptures and he taught, he expounded, he explained, he, he, he laid it out. He taught us the way that we're to live. That's Jesus, the teacher. And we also saw in Luke 14 that Jesus as teacher reveals to us when he gives us the terms of discipleship. He says, let me tell you three things that are going to get in your way. They're going to be like obstacles in your path if you don't deal with them. Here they are. He said, it's going to be either earthly affections, being attached to something other than me, or it's going to be self-love, or it's going to be possessions, your stuff, the things you accumulate, material things, your love for those things, your attachment to those things. He said, those are the things that your heart is in danger of getting attached to more than me. So earthly affections, uh, this way, our horizontal relationships, those are going to get in the way. Uh, Loving yourself, being selfish, going to get in the way. Having attachment to things, that's going to get in the way. Materialism. I want you to imagine you're driving down a, a road. You're driving down a narrow road. It's a mountain road. And you're driving down that road, and all of a sudden, as you're going along, you come up against a huge boulder that is in the middle of the road. There it is. You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You are stuck. You have come up against a major roadblock. There it is. That's Jesus' idea. He's telling us, you cannot be my disciple. You will not be able to continue down the road of discipleship. If your heart is attached to earthly relationships more than me, or yourself more than me, or things more than me, you're going to hit a roadblock, and your discipleship journey is going to stop right there. It's going to be hindered. It's going to slow you down. So Jesus is giving us the terms of the agreement, the terms of discipleship. He gives us three, you cannot be my disciples. This is one of them, earthly affections. Now, if you were to say to me, Jeff, in all your studying of the Bible and of the things that Jesus said, what would you say he cares most about? What would you say? Well, regarding the world, I would say that Jesus cares most that you are saved. 
You must be born again. You must be born again. That's what Jesus would say if he was talking to the world. Here is what I care most about, that you are saved, that you turn to me and become born again and become mine and you are delivered from death, hell, and the grave and from the devil and from the power of sin. That's that, Regarding the world, that's my number one concern. Well, Lord, but what about us? What about your children? What is your greatest concern when it comes to us? Here's what I believe Jesus would say. Where your heart is. Where your heart is. What has your heart? I would say that that would be Jesus' primary concern about the church. Is that my opinion? No, I get that straight out of the Bible. Straight out of the Word of God, that's what it says. What has your heart? Because when Jesus is laying out the terms of discipleship, he says, first of all, you're going to have to love me above everything else or you cannot be my disciple. That's a strong word. So let me just start right there. When our nearest and dearest relationships on earth, the horizontal relationships we have with people, when they prove to be obstacles in our walk with Christ or in coming to Jesus, then all natural affections must be flung aside. Or you cannot, you cannot, you will not be his disciple, his learner, where he is your teacher and he is your guide, and you are totally sold out to him, and you are bearing fruit to the glory of God, and your life is counting for him. That's not going to happen as long as this way you're more attached than this way. That's a strong word. No love of home, no earthly affections, even family must ever come into competition with our love for him. He said, not father, not mother, not brother, not sisters, not children, not anything above him. Do you hear the call of Jesus? This is the call to discipleship. Now, there are people all over the church world today, if they heard me saying this, they would say, well, wow, you're really getting fanatical. No, you know what I'm preaching? Normal Christianity. We're so used to subnormal. We're so used to this uh, Americanized version of Christianity, we think it's normal, but it's not. Normal Christianity is when you're a disciple. And when you're a disciple, you love him supremely over any other person on this planet. Jesus would want to know today, where are your affections? What do you love most? What has captured your heart? Does God reign supreme on the throne of your heart? Does God reign supreme? Or does something else have your heart? Because, listen, there's not a person listening to me or watching or will hear this by radio whose heart has not been captured by something primarily. When I read the words of Jesus, you know what? It, it struck me this week. He's really like a spiritual heart doctor. And when I read his words, they often function like a spiritual EKG. They reveal the, the spiritual condition of my heart and yours. Read the red. Just read the red ink. If, you know, some of you are, are new Christians. You say, what should I read? Read the red. Just read the red. Because 
many Bibles have Jesus' words in, in, in red ink. Just read the red. And when you read the red, it's almost like your, your spiritual heart is undergoing an EKG. And, and the, his words will reveal the spiritual condition of our heart. Is it healthy? Is it diseased? Is it divided? Is it whole? Are the arteries clogged with sinful cholesterol? Or are they clear? Is your spiritual blood flowing clear? Is your heart healthy? Living in America, you probably noticed that we're huge in America on heart health. Everywhere you turn, you read about heart health. Uh, it's, it's a major deal, and, there, and there's, it should be, because we're told that the leading cause of death in America for men and women both is heart disease. So slogans about heart health are everywhere. Let me give you a few. Some of them are corny, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. Here they are. This is what uh, uh, the medical profession has put out there to, to make us think about our heart health. Here's, here's one. Have a healthy heart so we won't be apart. Healthy eating for a strong heart beating. That's another one. You can't beat a healthy heart. <laughs> here's one. Get pumped up about heart health. And then the, here, here's one last one. Healthy heart, healthy you. But Jesus warned about another kind of heart disease. He said, don't you see that anything you eat passes through the digestive tract and out again? But evil words come from an evil heart and defile the man who says them. For the heart, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defiles a man. And he's describing their spiritual heart disease. And that is the disease that separates us from God. We're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Every person in here has sin. And Jesus said it proceeds from our heart. And he said that's the real heart disease. You know what? If you'll take care of that heart disease through Jesus Christ, it'll help your natural heart. Speaking to religious people who were listening to him, Jesus said, pointing to them and said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They have a form of godliness. They look religious. They're saying all the right things with their lips. But he said, I've got a read on them. I've, I've x-rayed them, and I've done an EKG on them, and their hearts are actually far from me. The Proverbs warn, guard your heart above all else, for it will determine the course and direction your life takes. If your heart is good, if it's healthy, then you're going to be going in a good direction in life. But if your heart is clogged with sinful cholesterol, then you're, you're going to take some roads that are not healthy. Because where your heart is, your feet will follow. So Jesus was very, very concerned and often talked about our heart. He focused on our heart because the spiritual heart disease of sin endangers every single person alive, everybody needs Dr. Jesus, the greatest heart doctor in the universe, to fix our hearts. We all need it. The prophet Ezekiel looked down the tunnel of time and he said, let me tell you what Messiah Jesus is going to do for the heart. 
He says in Ezekiel 38, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a tender, responsive heart. That means a heart that is tender and responsive to God. That's what I'm going to give you. Jesus said, you all need a heart transplant. You all need heart surgery, spiritually speaking. And that's what I came to do, give you a brand new heart. And that's why you must be born again. It is not an option. He didn't say go get religion. He didn't say turn over a new leaf. He didn't say go to rehabilitation. He said you need a transformation, and only I can give you the transformation. And when you come to me, I will give you a brand new heart and a brand new spirit that is right and sound and healthy. Amen. This is what I believe Jesus would be most concerned about. Somebody came to me one day and said, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord with all your heart. First thing he nailed, the heart. And then with all your soul, then with all your mind, then with all your strength. Notice he put the heart first. Because if you get your heart right, your soul, your mind, and your strength will follow. Love the Lord with all your heart. Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, Lord, sure I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? What did Jesus want to know about Simon Peter? He was most concerned regarding his heart and where it was when it came to Jesus. Do I have your heart? Is your heart with me? Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, here's my issue with you. You've left your first love. Your heart's not with me like it used to be. They were doing everything right. They were reaching people, preaching, doing all kinds of good things. But Jesus said, I see that your heart has departed. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's constantly focused on our heart. He warned against our hearts being too attached to earthly treasures. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If he's your treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. And where your heart is, that's where your feet are going to follow. So if your heart is with Jesus, you're going to be in hot pursuit of him. If your heart is away from him, you're going to stray here, there, and yon. But, but your, your pathway is not going to be after him. Uh, somebody was watching one day. I read this. Somebody was, was watching. Two men walked down a road, and a dog was following behind. These two men were just walking down a road talking, and the dog was following behind. And the one that wrote this story said, I got to wondering, who owned the dog? Who, who did the dog belong to? He said, as long as they walked down the same road, you couldn't tell. But then the road came to a fork. And one man went one way and one the other, and the dog immediately began to follow one of those men and left the other. And he said, I couldn't tell who owned the dog and who the dog loved until the dog had to make a choice. And the dog went with the owner. And you see, folks, we live in a day right now where uh, sometimes you can't tell where folks' heart really, hearts really are until there comes a fork in the road. And there must be a choice. 
And I guarantee you, you will go where your heart is. You will follow where your heart is. It's not rules and regulations. That's not what it is. You will go where your heart is because Christianity is a heart thing that I'm about to share with you in a minute. But, but the dog followed the one he loved. Even a dog can't have two loves. So Jesus says, I want your heart to be with me because in thick and thin, through hard times and good times, you're going to follow the one you love. Second, Jesus' emphasis on the affections of the heart should make something really, really crystal clear. Here it is. Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. It's a relationship. It is a relationship. If if it was a religion, he'd be saying, you need to follow my rules, follow my regulations. Be sure that you agree with everything that is in the rule book. That is not what he said. Jesus said it's all going to come down to a living, breathing, vital, thriving, pulsating relationship. Christianity is not a religion of rules and regulations and cold, hard, mechanical duty. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus made possible by his death and resurrection. That's what it is. Christianity is an ongoing, maturing, sweetening relationship with Jesus through the medium of the Holy Spirit who lives within the Christian. It is a relationship. I'm in love with someone I've never seen, and so are you. Listen to what the Bible says. Though you have not seen him, yet you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the day is coming when I'm going to see Jesus. But can I tell you the truth today? I don't need to see him. I don't have to see him because I love him without ever having seen him. You say, Jeff, how's that possible? Through the power of the Holy Ghost that has been given to those who believe, the Holy Ghost has put us in direct connection with the life of God, and we have fallen in love with someone we've never seen and don't need to. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and don't see. Paul writes, listen to this, I love this, whatever we do, it is certainly not for our own profit, but because Christ's love controls us now. Now catch this. Paul says, it's not rules and regulations or cold, hard duty that motivates me or, or that I'm following after. He said, it's Jesus' love that is my motivation. I didn't get up this morning and come here to preach out of cold, hard duty. I came because I love Jesus. Now, the reason I love Jesus is because he first loved me. I didn't come up with it. I didn't come have some big revelation that was, you could trace to me that one day I looked up and said, oh, wow, there was a Messiah one day, and he died for me. And so, therefore, I'm going to arise from the dead and come to him myself in my own power. Oh, no, no, no. I love him. Because he loved me when I was his enemy, when I was cursing him, when I didn't know him, when I was fit for hell. That is when he died for me. He died for me when I was yet his enemy. And because he first loved me, I love him. I don't love him perfectly, but I love him sincerely because he first loved me. Amen? He loves us. It's a love relationship, 
is what Christianity is. So I will never call it a religion. It's not one of the many religions of the world. It's a relationship. It's a relationship made possible by Jesus Christ. That's what the crosswalk is all about. It's the walk of growing in a deepening love relationship with the one who gave it all. Jesus said, if you don't love me supremely, you cannot be my disciple. You got a boulder in the road. And it'll show up when the going gets tough. And, and this brings me to my last one. This is the hardest one, hardest point. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, not only are you going to have to love me more than everyone around you, but you're going to have to love me more than yourself. Uh-oh. Now you're meddling, Jesus. Because you don't understand the way we think in America. Because see, Jesus, here in America, it's all about me. It's not about you. It's all about me. That message, you're going to have to love me more than you do you, goes totally against the direction of Western culture and Western thinking and the American way of viewing things. We live in a culture that loves self. The Christian's Godhead is God the Father, God the Holy Ghost, or God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. But our culture's Godhead is me, myself, and I. We live in a culture that loves self. We have got an internet flooded with selfies. And I was, uh, I was in a restaurant the other day. I was in a restaurant the other day, and I noticed a table next to me. And it was about like five, six people. Every last one of them were on their smartphones. They weren't talking to each other at all. I don't even think they knew their names. They were all at a table together. And you know what, you know what they kept on doing? Selfies. As if they think sending their image across the internet is going to bless the human race. <laughs> Self magazine is on all the grocery store shelves. There is a pervasive, it's all about me attitude in the American culture. We constantly harp on, watch this, self-esteem, self-respect. Self-help, self-image. We worship at the altar of self. We serve ourselves, love ourselves, and we're focused on ourselves, and it's all about us. That's why Pastor Ray back there with the children teaches them to say, it's not about me, it's all about him. We're like the Greek mythological character named Narcissus who saw his own reflection in a pool of water one day and fell in love with it. <sighs> There is none like you. It's true. And you know what happened in Narcissus? He was so in love with his own reflection, he would not leave the pool, and he finally drowned in the pool, staring at his own reflection, infatuated with himself. We're drowning in self-worship in America. And the answer is Jesus Christ who said, don't focus on yourself, focus on me. Jesus said, anybody who intends to follow me, this is out of the Message Bible, it's so good. Anyone who intends to follow me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Now, th these are the next words. I didn't put this there. 
Self-help is no help at all. Now, he goes on. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. If you want to find yourself, get over yourself. Do you know that I rarely find in the Bible ever when God gives somebody, when Jesus gave somebody what they wanted? He always gave them what they needed. Big difference. I'm so thankful he has not always given me what I wanted. But he has always given me what I needed. And we need to hear this. It's not about me. It's all about him. There's no answer in me. There's no answer in my reflection. There is an answer in him. And if I want to find out about me, I go to him because he's the one that made me. I'm custom designed by him. He, he called for my DNA. He called for my genetic makeup. He knew what I was going to look like, talk like, walk like. He knew Jesus is the creator of every human being. He has been intimately involved in our formation in our mother's womb, according to Psalms 139. So Jesus said, you got to love me more than yourself or you can't be my disciple. There's going to be times that the, the road's going to fork. And it's going to be, do I choose for me and go this way or do I follow him and go that way? Next week, I'm going to talk about your cross. That's when you pick up your cross and you say, it's not about me. It's all about him. I'm giving up following myself, chasing after myself, satisfying myself, making it all about me. I'm going to follow him. And when I follow him, that's the road that leads to life and true fulfillment. He spoke these things, remember, to a large crowd that had been following him for days. He looked at them and knew that they did not understand what it would take to be a true disciple. So he begins with their heart and the things they love. And he moves on to the issue of even loving him more than themselves. I believe he did this for a number of reasons. There's no, nothing healthy about always taking care of you. It's when you give yourself away that you find life. He that would save his life will lose it, Jesus said. But he that loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's one of those opposites in the Bible that don't make natural sense but happen to be true. But he also knew the full flood of fury that was about to come upon his fledgling church. He saw ahead of time that governmental authorities were going to look at them and say, you cannot preach Jesus. You can't teach Jesus. You can't stand for Jesus. You must worship our gods and not him. Jesus saw that coming because they had a pantheon of gods, the Romans did that they had inherited from the Greeks. The Greeks called them one name. The Romans just changed the names and called them another. Thor, Zeus, all these different false, idolatrous gods. But the Romans worshipped them, and the Romans even made sacrifices to these false gods. Jesus foresaw that many of those who would follow him as disciples would be rejected by their parents, rejected, kicked out of their home, kicked out of their community, would be ostracized for standing for him. 
So he said, in a moment like that, when the road forks and you've got a decision to make, you're going to have to love me more than yourself. The Roman Empire was a very dangerous place to be a Christian in the first three centuries. In the first three centuries of Christianity in Rome, before Rome fell, it was, it was a capital offense to be a Christian. You got the death penalty. Believers were thrown into wild animals. They were beheaded. They were imprisoned. They were ripped apart from their families. They lost hearth and home. They lost reputation. They lost their money. They lost it all for the name of Christ. If they had not preemptively decided, he's more important to me than me, the church would have never flourished. It would never have spread. It would have never triumphed. It would have never been the one standing while Rome fell. So Jesus told them ahead of time. And you know that martyrdom is not just something that goes back to the first three centuries of Christianity. Do you know the 20th century and the 21st century have seen more martyrs for Christ than all the centuries preceding it? More people have decided, all right, he told me this fork in the road would come. He told me I'd have to follow him and not myself, follow him and not my own security, follow him and not my own protection, follow him, him, him at every fork. He told me. His words, right now as I share with you this word, somebody in the world is giving it all for the name of Christ. Right now. Somebody's giving it all right now. They're saying, okay, it's all about him, not about me. Revelation, the book of Revelation, John, John tells us that in heaven, that the record of heaven will be, they love not their lives to the death. Radical Islam, atheistic communism have killed more Christians than anyone leading up to the 20th century. And it's happening right now. So the words of Jesus are relevant for us today because, listen, this week, there's going to be a fork in the road. Am I going to love me, serve me, cater to me, or am I going to love him and cater to him? This is the crosswalk. You don't hear about this in many pulpits. That's really unfortunate. Because, listen, we're preparing a whole generation of believers to be utterly taken back by suffering. Utterly unprepared for it. So this week, it's going to happen. There's going to be a fork in the road. This way or that way. And you'll have to say, I'm not here to serve me. I'm to serve him. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple. So he told me he must be supreme or I can't be his disciple. Now, would you stand with me today? And, and I want us to say these things together. These three things that we've learned about the crosswalk. Say with me, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And I say with me, number two, we're called to love him above all others. And then third, we're called to love him more than ourselves. Now, I know what you're thinking. I thought the same thing. Jeff, I don't love the Lord like that. 
I mean, wow, Jeff, this just nails me because I don't think, I don't know if it's in me to give it all for Jesus at that fork in the road if the price was too high. How do I do it? How do I love him? The same way you first loved him. It must come from him. I love the Lord, but I can guarantee you I don't love him perfectly. I love him sincerely. But I'm human just like you. My heart can attach to things. Before I know it, it's attached to something and there's a fork in the road and I've got to make a decision. So I'm right where you are. I hear you. So you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to lift our hands to the Lord here today. And we're going to ask him to give us, to increase our love.